Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning in Jesus' name. We sing praises to you and worship you, and we lean in on the truth that you are dependable. We acknowledge, Lord Jesus, our need for you. And we thank you that you are present here with us in all the places where people are joining us by live stream this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we open up the scriptures, that you would illuminate the truth that you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would flow among us, pour down among us, and that your will would be done. And that, Lord Jesus, that you would comfort the afflicted and that you would jostle those who are comfortable that we might draw close to you and follow you. We commit this time to you and we pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning and thank you to those who are joining us by uh, live stream. We're delighted uh, that you are doing that. Which way should we go? Uh, if you have been on a trail or a path, that is a question that you have most likely asked, especially if you come to an intersection or a junction. There's a variety of reasons. Sometimes you're not sure which way to go. Sometimes the different options look pleasing or there's promise or possibility and you're having to make a choice. We ask that question literally, but we also ask it figuratively in life because there are times in our lives when we are trying to figure out which way to go, how to live, which way to respond, how to live in the circumstance that we're in. Uh, Steve Cripps is the chair of our elders board, and Steve and I, several weeks ago, were out for a hike. Steve wanted to show me this area. Uh, he does a lot of walking and hiking, and, and so we were out on a hike. And as we began to talk about a variety of things, one of the things Steve said to me is, he said, Gary, people really need to have hope. People need to have hope. And he's so right about that. Over the last couple of months, one of the things that has become clear to me again is that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Spiritual battle as in there are invisible, unseen forces or powers, both of wickedness and evil and also good. And they are invisible, but nonetheless very real. The Apostle Paul talked about this spiritual battle in his day, 60 AD. But we are experiencing it today as well. And what I believe the enemy wants to do in our current context is usurp the narrative. He wants to distract us and take over the conversation and have us talk about anything, uh, whether it's COVID or any subject other than leaning in on what we know about the Lord and about good news and about the gospel. It reminds me of uh, the disciples in the time of Jesus. They were with Jesus. They had observed some miracles that he had performed. They'd even witnessed how he had 
fed thousands and thousands of people in a very miraculous way with limited supplies of, of fish and bread. Then the disciples were with Jesus in a boat, and the boat sailed into a storm, and it wasn't moments into the storm when the disciples started getting overwhelmed and started essentially freaking out because of the storm, and the storm, and what are we going to do, and the storm, and the storm. And it wasn't until they somewhat came to their senses and realized who was in the boat with them. And they realized, and they came to their senses, and they realized Jesus was actually, remember, Jesus is in the boat. Somebody wake him up. And it was when they came to talk with Jesus that they found resolution to the circumstance that they were in. And so we continued our conversation, Steve and I, and I, I believe that actually what, what the enemy is doing here with this uh, usurping the narrative is that he wants to get us to talk about a variety of subjects, any subject at all. And he actually literally has us where he wants us. In a literal sense, that is, that we are separated, we're apart. Maybe we're in opposing views and postures of us versus them. Afraid anxious. All of this is the work of the enemy. And as Steve and I continued our conversation in our hike, and we began to talk and pray together, the Holy Spirit recalled this verse to mind at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love. And Steve is right. We need hope. We also need a reminder, and we need to strengthen our faith, and we certainly need love. And it was just a chapter earlier where the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, here, let me show you a more excellent way, a more excellent way to live. And that, from there, he goes into chapter 13 and finishes with faith, hope, and love. And so that is our sermon series that we're going to embark on over the course of the following weeks until we reach Advent. A more excellent way. And this morning, we're going to uh, lean in and dig into the matter of faith. And we want to look at the book of Romans. Now, it's understood that actually Paul was in Corinth when he wrote the book of Romans. Isn't that interesting? He was in Corinth when he wrote the book that he sent to, to the church in Rome. And, you know, the, the, the book of Romans can sound kind of technical. Some people call it a, a, a systematic theology of sorts. But as we go through this, and what we understand is his aim was that people would, that the people in Rome, the church there, and subsequently those who would read this, would live the theology. So theology, doctrine, things of belief are one part, but ultimately that they would live these theological tenets that he was espousing. It's a lived theology, a way to live. And it was particularly relevant at the time for the church in Rome because they were experiencing a, a, a lot of tension in this church in Rome. There were Jews that had converted to Christianity. 
They knew the Torah very well, and they were still believing that you needed to adhere to all of the rudiments of the Torah and also to the traditions of the, the Hebrew traditions or the Jewish traditions. And at the same time, there were Greeks that were coming into the church, Gentiles, those that were not Jews, and they were saying, we don't need all of that. We have been called, we are followers of Jesus now, we're part of the church. And so then this tension began to mount between the Jewish people who thought they needed to follow these ways, and the posture of, we are the worthy ones because of our heritage and our ethnicity, and the Greeks and the Gentiles who said, we're free from all of that, we are the righteous ones because we are free from all of that. And you have the, the, the weak and the strong, the worthy and the righteous in this conflict. And the first Christian church in Rome. And not only that, but they were disoriented. Could you imagine the very first gathering, congregation gathering of people that were followers of Jesus that were coming in, that were in Rome, that coming from all these different ethnicities, and they were trying to figure out how to do congregation church life together with all these different backgrounds. How do you do that? And there was this disorientation because the Jews were having to leave the synagogue, essentially being sort of uh, outcast from their families and their traditions. And the Gentiles were leaving all the business acumen and the things that they were familiar with. And they were committing themselves to following Jesus. All of this radical experience as they were coming together. Incredible disorientation. And so what Paul is doing in the early parts of the book of Romans is he is wanting to reorient them by establishing, you know, some fence posts, some doctrinal fence posts, some solid theological uh, tenets that they would live out. And he reorients them by referring back to the beginning of Christian family life, and that is Abraham. And so if you have your Bibles, either the hard copy or your phones, go to the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read a couple of verses in here. This is now Paul referring to Abram. Abram who becomes Abraham. Romans 4 verse 20. No distrust made him, that is Abram, no distrust made Abram waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that, what, that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. He grew strong in his faith. Strong able, capable, empowered in his faith to the point where he was fully convinced. He was persuaded. He was assured. He was certain. <laughs> That's really... I want that kind of faith. I want faith that is strong and that grows strong. I want to be fully convinced. I desire that for us as a congregation. To grow strong. But what, what is faith 
But what makes faith grow strong? How does faith grow strong? And for us to answer the question, how does faith grow strong, we need to understand a little bit about faith itself. This is the way Paul was reorienting the people in Rome and for all of us today. Well, to understand a bit about faith and to understand Abram's faith, Abram was the father as, uh, of the, the Christian uh, churches it developed. Back in the chapter 12 of Genesis, when we understand that could be, perhaps uh, Abram was part of the early Bronze Age, uh, 2200 B.C. or 2000 B.C. Maybe it was the mid-Bronze Age, 1800 B.C. But anyway, it was, let's put it at 2000 B.C. And in Genesis chapter 12, we understand that God spoke to Abram and gave him this direction, leave your church, leave your family, leave your traditions. In fact, I'm going to read it. Chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the Lord makes this promise. He gives him a directive to leave where you are and to go. And he gives him a promise. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a massive family. And everyone that follows that from there, your family will be blessed. I will build nations and nations from your family tree. And you know what's really crazy? I wonder how the Lord came to Abram. Like, what was, it, what was that encounter like? Was it a still small voice? Was it a, in, a, in a dream? How did the Lord communicate to him? But at any rate, the Lord communicated to him to such an extent that Abram did it. He left. He took the steps and he left his family he left everything that he knew. He left the culture, the traditions. He left the politics. He left everything about his present circumstance. And he went and did what the Lord had said. And he started to move. And then we find out in Genesis chapter 15. That in this progressive elaboration of God's promise in chapter 15. The Lord comes and encounters uh, Abraham again, and he makes a more uh, a committed seal of that promise, almost like a contract. And he seals that promise that this is what's going to happen. And you're going to have a family and the nations will be blessed and you will have land. And then in chapter 17, as time goes with Abram and Sarah, the Lord promises that they will have a son. At the early onset, when they had first encountered the Lord, Abram was 75 years old when he left everything. Now in chapter 17, we understand that the Lord promised that they would have a son. And he was 99 years old. He was old. They were old. And by the time we get to chapter 21, their son Isaac is born. 
within a year. From 75 to 99, I mean 25 years. Abraham believed what we would call the impossible. I won't ask how many of you here or maybe you're on live stream are 75 or older. Or you're an octogenarian, you're over 80. I want to just tell you, for those of you who are, the Lord is not finished with you yet. We love the children and the teens, but uh, uh, there was a little uh, pin that, that we had when I was kids. It, the, the, the letters on it were PBB, GNF, WMY. It stands for, please be patient, God is not finished with me yet. If you're an octogenarian or even a nonagenarian, you're in your 90s, God is not finished with you. He loves you, He sees you, He knows you. And there's so much to be done. But Abram believed what was essentially, we would say, is impossible. I was talking with uh, Bill earlier this morning about a cognitive bias that uh, a psychologist Daniel Kahneman talks about. He's coined this uh, acronym, YZ Addy. What you see is all there is. There's a cognitive bias that we have that we sense, we believe, our quick thinker just tends to jump to conclusions and what we see is all there is. But it's not true. What we see is not all there is. There's actually more going on. And Abraham understood that. And what he believed was that there is a God. There is a creator. He believed in the creator. And he believed that the creator is good. And he believed that the Creator is loving and gracious and merciful. He believed the Creator was also the one who is responsible for wombs, opening and closing. He believed in the beauty and the mystery of heterosexual procreation. He understood that Abraham believed that was up to the Creator. He believed that the Lord and our Creator really desired for us to be fruitful and multiply. And do you notice the sequence of this? The sequence is that the Lord came to Abram and he made this direction. He said, go and do this step. Take these steps. And he also made a promise to Abram. He just promised him. He gave him a promise. He offered him this amazing promise. And it was from that directive and that invitation and that offer and that promise that Abraham responded that's the sequence. Um, there's a, a, a pastor, a former, he has now uh, gone to be with the Lord, a pastor, a theologian, professor, G.E. Ladd, George Alden Ladd. And he defined faith this way. He put an equation. He put faith equals belief plus trust. I like math. I like all kinds of things. But I like, that helps me kind of get a handle on it. Faith equals belief plus trust. The only thing with that is that we then have to define trust so how I have come to understand faith as being faith equals belief in action or belief plus action. Belief is this intellectual assent. You understand, you accept, you believe something in your mind is being true. But do you notice what the steps that Abraham took? Lord made him an offer. Abraham believed it as being true. And because of that, he took uh, steps accordingly to what he believed to be true. 
And that together is faith. And we're here today. Yes, because of Abraham's faith. But because God made a promise. And he kept it. Because the Lord delivers. He fulfills his promises. And they are good. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He desires to be in relationship, to draw people into relationship with him. And so he is worthy to receive our faith. He is worthy to not only believe the promises, but he is worthy when he gives us a promise or when he gives us an action or he invites us into something. He is worthy to follow through on it. So friends, faith, how do we grow strong? Faith grows strong through exercise. It grows strong through taking steps. Because there is a space Listen, there is a space between a stimulus and a response. There's space between what somebody says, what the Lord offers, the promise that he makes, a prompting. There's a space between that and our response. And it's in that space where we make a choice. It's in that space where faith is making up its mind. Am I going to believe and accept what God is saying? And am I going to live that way? Am I going to respond according to what I believe? It's just taking that step. Whether it's a big step, a tiny step, any kind of response to what the Lord is saying and prompting and initiating in our lives. I want to illustrate that this morning. And uh, to do that, I am going to ask uh, my wife, Kimberly, to come uh, up onto the platform. Um, she started getting a little suspicious um, last night and then this morning when I was asking a few questions um, and so I will tell you that for this illustration, um, I have not told her the details of it. But the reason I've asked her to come and join me is because I can get close to Kimberly because she's my wife and we're dealing with all these uh, two-meter gap uh, uh, requirements. But she started getting a little suspicious when I asked her to try on a, a blindfold to see if she could see. <laughs> and it was at that point she was like, okay, so what's going on? I said, well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. So anyway... If, if you could just step forward here, and I'm going to have you step right at the edge. Come right, right to the edge. Okay. Now, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I'm going to put this blindfold on you. If, you're going to take your glasses off. Here, I'll take those. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to put this blindfold on. Now, could you just adjust it by your, position it by your eyes. And I'm going to tie it. I, I want to tie it so that you can't uh, see. And by the way, we're going to have a, a time for Q&R in a little while. And I really want to encourage you to, to write your questions, send them to ask, 
at westviewchurch.ca or stand up where you are for the Q&R. This is, preaching and sermonizing is part of it, but it's the Q&R time. It's the question and response time where we really get some traction. And uh, I, so I just invite you to ask those questions. Young adults, uh, I'm really depending on you to ask some questions. Now, can you see anything? Okay. Perfect. Now, um, I'm going to spin you around a little bit. Okay, I'll bring you back. Just take a step back. Okay, that's far enough. Now, I'm going to spin you around a little bit, okay? All right, so let me do that. Okay, we're going to spin you around. We're going to have to get some speed going. No. Okay. Okay. Okay, no, we're, we're going to keep going just a little bit more. Okay, this is great. Yeah, so this is simulating when things are a little bit crazy in life. Okay, now, things are a little crazy. Now, all I would like you to do is take a step. No, <laughs> take a step forward. Okay. Do you feel like you have one more step in you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Do you have one more step in you? Okay. That's, that's far enough. We're going we're gonna to have you pause here. And while I take this off, thank you for, for being willing to do that. Now, what was going through your mind when I was asking you to take a step and you were having to decide whether you were going to take a step? What? 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 Safety. Safety. And what? 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 Yeah, come on this way. <laughs> what? What made you? So you were thinking about safety. And so what made you feel like it would be all right for you to take a step? What were you thinking? Or what led you to conclude that it would be all right to take a step? Because I know you. And I know that I, you wouldn't let me fall. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we did not rehearse that. We didn't talk about that. All we did was practice to see if the blindfold would... Do you notice what she said, what she had to do between the instruction, take a step, and actually going ahead and taking a step? How much the brain is, like, how many thoughts are developing? And what did she, what was she thinking? Was she thinking, suddenly her thoughts were on me. We're on who is giving the direction and who is managing this. It wasn't so much on, you know, the, the danger, like the death or the I'm falling over, but who I am, she knows me, and implicit in that is that she trusts me and that I have her well-being in mind. And so this is what is that in the gap between what we know and what we understand and the response that we take. Is do we know the Lord? 
Do we know him? Do we believe that he has our best intentions in mind? Are we hearing what he wants us to do? Are we understanding and noticing and receiving and discerning? And then do we believe that he really has our best interests in mind and that he loves us? And suddenly we're not talking about the storm <laughs> anymore. We're talking about the Lord and how good he is and how great he is. And then we take a step. And did you notice what happened is after that first step, her instinct, no, and you're going to take a step forward after that first step. And I said, could you take another step? Yeah, I think I could take another step. And that's how faith grows. Through that sequence. As we put our minds on the Lord and as we discover that he's dependable. And as we discover how good he is. And it's through sometimes what we would call risk. Or sometimes through what we would call the impossible. When Paul was writing this to the church in Rome, he desired that they would have peace and unity. Because it is by grace through faith that everyone is justified. He wrote that in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. So all people are justified. Everybody is made right with God by His grace and through faith. So then all people, whether in Romans days, whether it was the Jews or the Gentiles, and today, regardless of, of ethnicity or gender or age, all people, it is through faith. And what he desired also when he was writing this to the, the church in Rome was to inspire people to live by faith. Inspire people to demonstrate that God is faithful and that we can live by faith as Abraham lived by faith. And that it would mean that we would not be static, that it wouldn't be status quo because we would grow. We would grow in our faith that actually growth is life. That we would be transformed. Paul wrote in Romans 12 that you would present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Congregation, can you imagine, if, if, brothers and sisters, could you imagine us if we lived by faith, if we took those steps, how our congregation would be transformed? And if we are transformed, what does that look like in the places where we go to work and to go to school? If we are transformed and living by faith, what could possibly happen next as we live by faith? I'm going to ask the music team to come to the platform, and I'm going to pause for that Q&R time um, to give you a chance to ask questions. I actually have a question that came up as I was doing this. If you don't ask it, I might ask it for, as a point of clarification. But you can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca or uh, you can stand up where you are and we'll take a few minutes for Q&R and then we'll conclude. So if you have a question where you are sitting, you can ask it. If you're on live stream, text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca and we'll take your questions if you have one. And uh, 
Emmanuel is, is operating the, the inbox there. And uh, I, do you have one in there right now? Okay. Is when have you personally had to step out in faith and trust God in what seemed like an impossible situation? Okay, that's good. When have I personally stepped out in faith in a circumstance that seemed impossible? Mm. And what was that last part? And oh no, you got it. In an okay. impossible situation. In an impossible situation. Well. Um, I, 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 I feel, I'm, I'm not so sure about the impossible. I'm learning a lot over my years that impossible is kind of a wobbly term. But I will say that when Kimberly and I moved to Calgary, that was definitely um, a, a very significant step of faith for us. Our two daughters live in Ontario. We were living in Manitoba. We'd been part of that church for over 14 years. My parents still are in Manitoba. My, they're, they're nonagenarians now, both of them. And we believe that the Lord called us here to Calgary and to Westview. But we, don't have, uh, we, we didn't have friends here. No biological family members here. Uh, leaving my elderly parents and uh, going to a place we'd never lived and to people we didn't know except by Zoom. <laughs> okay. Believing the Lord had called us here. And in the midst of a very complex time. Awesome. There's a second question okay. here. Yeah. The question is, how do we get beyond our personal baggage to faith. Okay, that's good. How do we get beyond our personal baggage to faith? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, I, I, I think we can't get beyond our personal baggage. We're going to have whatever that means, personal baggage, our hang-ups, our worries, our doubts, our anxieties. So, I am sure that Abraham Abram at the time, then Abraham, I'm sure that he had a lot of that too. And even when we look at the disciples, Thomas was a doubter, as an example. What the Lord is inviting us to do is, in the midst of all of that, put our mind on him. Is, is there a creator? Is he loving, gracious, and merciful, and compassionate? Does he have our best interest in mind? And then, as Reese was uh, uh, referring to in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you have faith like a tiny, incy, wincy, bitsy, eeny, teeny, weeny. So in the midst of all of the stuff that we've got going on, just muster up. A step. In the midst of that. And then through that, continue learning, continue understanding, putting, and then another step, however big or small it is. And soon, maybe we can at the same time 
start letting go. Because if we're putting our mind on him, then we're not putting our mind here. We're putting our mind on our relationship with him. And we're beginning to exercise that other part of the way we think. Yeah. There's a third question here, which is, how do we discern God's leading from our own thoughts in order to exercise our faith. So this seems like we're getting even deeper into what this you're talking about. This is good. Yeah, I like that. I like that. How do we discern the Lord's leading, uh, uh, discern the differentiating the Lord's leading, the Holy Spirit's leading, uh, different from our own thoughts? Uh, am, I, am I getting that right? It seems that that's where it's pointing. Yeah, okay. That's really good. And that could be a whole nother sermon. But I really like that question too. That's another awesome question. And, and, and I think that's, that's another a key thing. And so what I want to start is we, we need to, and, and we're acknowledging, and I think implicit in that question and what we need to acknowledge is that, yes, thoughts do come to us. Thoughts do come to us. And the Holy Spirit, as we understand from the New Testament and from Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He convicts us. He leads us in the way of truth. It's His will to do that, and He is doing that. And so we need this gift of discernment. And so in that, one helpful thing is to, what I call, move from the known to the unknown. There are a lot of promises that the Lord already makes in a general sense. General uh, promises. This little book, and, and uh, Pastor Tyler and I have been talking about it, Bible Promises for You. And we're going to get a bunch of these. But these are promises that are in Scripture that God makes. General promises. And there's an index. I mean, when it comes to a variety of subjects. And we can read these and receive these and, and own these as promises to us. Those in a general sense. But then when it comes to specifically discerning what the Lord is leading for you specifically, that gift of discerning that, what you hear, is it consistent with the promises that God already makes? Is what you hear consistent with the New Testament? What is going on in the Old or the New Testament? Practicing this holy noticing, this relationship, like Kimberly was saying, well, I know you. So practicing the, the art of holy noticing, spending time listening and discerning, it's such a requirement. And let's be completely forthright transparent here. There will be times when we don't necessarily get it right. When we're thinking that this is the Lord's leading, but it might not be. And so we trust. That's why we are in community. When we are sensing the Lord's voice, Jesus said, you'll hear my voice and you'll know it's me because of my voice in John 10. And there'll be times when we can discern, times when it's not so clear. So we live in community. So I come over and I say, Wayne, so here's what I believe the Lord's saying. And, and what do you think? How does that go on? And, and Wayne says, you know, that seems right to me. Or well, have you thought about this? And we live together in community to help each other out. And so I would love to go more on that, but that's at least a, a, a response. That's actually a last question. Okay, that's good. I want to just ask one more question uh, or, or a clarification. When we were uh, blindfolding Kimberly, I want you to know that I am not intimating um, what is sometimes called, air quotes, blind faith. Okay? Because what blind faith means is you take a step without any 
any information, without any regard, without any uh, information or, or, or material in, in hand, okay? That's not what I'm intimating when we're blindfolding. The reason I blindfolded her was simply because there are times in our life when we can't see clearly what is up ahead, okay? The, the point of blind faith is that you don't know uh, the Lord, you have no relationship, etc. The truth is, what the Lord is inviting us to do is become related to Him, in relationship with Him, get to know Him. And so our faith is based on what we know of Him. It's rela relationship with Him. So it's not blind faith. It's based on what our relationship with Him and what we know to be true of the Lord. And so this morning, my invitation to us on live stream or here this morning is to take... I, I, heard, I heard this, this, this guy talking about wondering, what is the smallest unit of measurement in English? Is it itsy-bitsy or teeny-weeny? Um, Jesus used the illustration of a mustard seed, and we could talk about that. But to take a step based on what you believe the Lord and what you believe and discern he is saying to you to take a step. I don't know what that step is, but for all of us, just to take a step, whether it's in your school, uh, whether it's in your uh, sports, whether it's in your work, whether it's to do with church, whether it's to do with family, but just a step. We all live with a worldview. We all live with an understanding of how the world works and whether there is a God and positioning of God in this. And that's what we call a worldview. Stephen Hawking, who is a preeminent uh, uh, physicist, wrote a little book called A Brief History of Time. And it was a mere few pages into this theoretical physicist, a few pages into it when he started talking about God. He's renowned as being like up there with Einstein and he just couldn't help it. He had to also deal with God. So we have this worldview. My question is, do you hear and do you know the promises? Do you, can you believe in, and, and discern that the Lord is giving you some promises and inviting you into something? And do you believe that? And could you imagine that he's also active in this world, his providence, that he's working right now in our lives? that he's prompting you by the Holy Spirit and that he's involved. And to exercise your faith. To walk this way. And then just see what the Lord has for us. Discover and take another step. Amen.